Welcome to Being the Dot. I'm your host, Dr. Stacy. Each week, we invite a guest to talk some about their experiences of being a black, brown, red, or yellow person in white spaces. So I don't know about you, but I have different clusters of friend groups, whether it be my church friends or my work friends or sorority folks or my neighbors or whatever the case may be, but I have different clusters of groups. And each of those groups are, some of them are diverse and some of them are relatively monolithic. What's it like to be a black person in a French group of mostly all white people? Our guest today is able to share her experiences around this, as well as the challenges and how she has managed, coped, and thrived in those environments. Dr. Lakeisha Meyer is a native of rural Kentucky. She graduated from Center College with a bachelor's degree and has two graduate degrees from the Indiana, Indiana University of Bloomington, one in educational psychology and the other in school psychology. Dr. Meyer is an avid lover of bluegrass music and music festivals where you actually camp out and enjoy the music all weekend. She has worked as an assistant professor in higher education, a behavioral specialist in high school education, and she currently is the assistant dean of academic services at Lycoming College. Dr. Lakeisha is an expert in this, and I can't wait to hear her story. Daughters, Please welcome to the podcast our guest daughter, Dr. Lakeisha Meyer. Woohoo! Applause in a round. Welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you for being here. So let's just start by kind of telling your story about, um, and not in grand detail, but just the abridged version. I think our listeners will be interested to know more about the time that you spent at the camp and um, some of the ways that some of your friendship groups have developed. But my guess is that it's connected to how and where you grew up. So let, let's start there. Yes, absolutely. So I grew up in very rural Kentucky, and my town literally has a population of around 150 people. Wow. My family and my, family and my, my immediate family and my grandparents um, and some extended family are really the only um, one of maybe two black families within that actual town area, even though my family lives outside, out, outside of the actual town, the suburbs of 150 population town of Hardyville. Um, and so I have from as early as I can remember, um, associated, um, school and friend groups with predominantly white folks. Um, and family and church time were, that was my black time. And so I, um, in at least up through middle school was typically the only black girl in the classroom, was the only black girl on the cheerleading squad, was the only, you know, um, black kid and, you know, whatever, whatever it may be. And so I didn't, I didn't know how strange that was because that was, that was just my experience. And then as I encountered um, other Black folks in the area, but who lived in, um, dare I say, more urban areas, which means, you know, a town with maybe a population of a thousand that may have had a few more Black folks in it, I was then seen as like the other like, like the like the country Black girl, the Black girl who's with all the white folks, because I grew up in this kind of outside of where even the um, kind of where most black folks lived in my county, for example, I was outside of that. And so once mm-hmm. I got to high school, my high school was my entire county. And so that's when I was able to begin to develop um, friendships with more um, black folks. But from kindergarten through, you know, eighth grade, 
And some of those, and actually I have a couple of friends I'm still friends with now or reestablished friendships with, um, that it wasn't until then that I even felt like I had the opportunity to extend those groups mm-hmm. into universe. Mm-hmm. And, um, since then. And so that, that's never been, I want, I don't want to say uncomfortable. It's never been unusual. It's always been uncomfortable at times, but it's mm-hmm. never been a strange experience to me. And so I feel like it's something that I learned to, to kind of deal with and cope with at an early age and was still able to find some positive relationships. But as a child, and after I graduated high school, I had no desire to keep in touch with those friends. <laughs> you know, those uh, growing up was growing up, it was, you're not like all the other black foods. I'm thinking, you don't know any other black foods. You're just talking about the people you see on TV or on the news. And so I never had a sense of those friends in a true sense. Um, mm-hmm. But recently, actually in the last several years, reconnected with a friend that I had since kindergarten, kindergarten through 12th grade. We were um, friends. And she and I, she actually evolved into an amazing, <laughs> um, amazing person. Um, she was um, um, kind of the top of the class, the top of kind of everything. And growing up in our area, I assumed after I kind of my eyes were open that I would have no connection with any of those folks, white folks that I grew up with. And so I then started to kind of realize that it's possible to have real friendships with white folks. (laughs) Kind of pseudo friendships where I was the only one, but wasn't really one of them in any sense in terms of any real kind of openness or camaraderie or um, connection. And now I find myself um, still predominantly in, you know, in predominantly white spaces and my interests are activities that still folks don't necessarily associate with typical blackness. And so that often means that I am um, in groups of folks that are still, you know, predominantly white, or I may be the only um, and so the fact that I like, um, you know, some bluegrass or some jam band music, or I like um, um, going to shows where, or concerts or events where there are very few Black folks, um, the fact that for some of the people around me, that minimizes my Blackness is, has been the hardest thing to, to kind of address or overcome. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I feel for me, it's almost a constant, like I have to almost consciously remind folks that there is diversity in blackness mm-hmm. and um, will occasionally encounter someone who will, you know, make a comment, you know, something to the effect of, you know, you're not, you're not like other black folks or you're not really black or I'm, or even if I encounter someone and we're talking about music and they um, are describing the artists they listen to, and let's say they're exclusively black artists. And I'm describing the artists I listen to, which is includes everything from R and B and hip hop to rap, to bluegrass, to some country to, you know, and so then that they think they then have the right to say that they're blacker than me based on Mm -hmm. some, Mm -hmm. something, something like that. And mm-hmm. so I have to remind them um, that when I'm walking down the street, no one's asking me what music I listen to. They see a That's black right. woman. That's right. And, mm-hmm. um, and that if they think in their mind, I'm not black enough, mm-hmm. it's not, I'm not their friend. They're just racist. Mm-hmm. And that is a conversation that um, I used to be afraid to have. Sure. <laughs> Because I felt isolated and sometimes not necessarily, you know, not always safe to have the mm-hmm. conversation depending on the mm-hmm. environment that I was in. Um, so, and, and, and I, I think the current um, social historical environment that we're living in makes it different. But it, can we roll back just for a second and then we'll come back to that because I want to yes. go there. You mm-hmm. said it's always been uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if you can talk some about what that's yeah. like or what, what, what can you unpack that for us? Yeah. So at least the, like the early experiences up until I had, we'll say my kindergarten through 
through college, I would say that I, part of that uncomfortableness was because I wasn't comfortable proclaiming my blackness, defending mm-hmm. my blackness, mm-hmm. being about my blackness mm-hmm. in those spaces. And so I often just found myself having things I thinking things that I didn't know how to how to communicate or say mm-hmm. to the, mm-hmm. partly it was our age, you know, and just where we were developmentally and also how insecure I was in myself, um, that there was always this sort of level of uncomfortable um or even being just waiting for someone to say something or do something that was going to make me feel uncomfortable. So even if it didn't happen, the anticipation of it led to me feeling somewhat uncomfortable sometimes in those spaces. And yeah. And so that, um, it wasn't even necessarily that folks were doing things to make me feel uncomfortable. There was always this anticipation that, that there was this underlying I'm here and I'm in this group and folks are interacting with me and talking with me, including me. But at some point they may decide there's a line and I'm no longer mm-hmm. included. Um, and so sure. the early experience kind of framed how I viewed, because they thought they were my friends. They mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. went on as if nothing really had happened. I didn't have a you know, conversation about it. And so that, um, um, at that time in my life and where I was developmentally in terms of not just my racial identity development, but just in general, you know, general mm-hmm. development, um, those were things mm-hmm. I, I didn't quite know how to manage. Well, it is, it was interesting to me is that you, part of, part of how you manage it was to anticipate that something could go wrong. So to try to prepare yourself for that and, Greer and Cobb's um, old school black psychologists talk about that as healthy cultural paranoia and the sense of kind of preparing and anticipating it in a way that really kind of keeps you safe and protected. And what I think is also true is that sometimes that's based in experiences um, and not just so Peter's experiences. And so I'm wondering, were there experiences that you had in the moment that there was this line kind of drawn in the sand or that there was a rejection or something happened mm-hmm. that you didn't feel like you could continue in, in the friendship, that kind of thing? How often that happened and what, what happened? Yes. So I, um, in elementary school, I had a friend, a friend mm-hmm. who had a birthday party where she had boys and girls over uh, for the birthday party, after like the pizza party at the end of the evening, the boys had to go home. The girls got to sleep over, but I had to go home because her parents were not comfortable having me sleep in their home. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that was something that I don't recall ever having a conversation about. I don't recall, you know, kind of processing that with anyone or bringing that, you know, or even being vocal about. I don't even know if I know how I felt about it, but I think Mm -hmm. at that point, that's when I, a shift kind of happened in terms of the people I'm surrounded around and being my friends versus being true, you know, having true friendships, relationships based Mm -hmm. on something like meaningful. Sure. How old were you then? I think I was around nine or 10. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for me, that, you know, at that point in my life, I wasn't vocal about anything. I was insecure about everything. <laughs> um, I developed relatively early. And so, you know, I was mm. already at that age taller than everyone else was. Mm-hmm. You know, it, um, and so I wasn't comfortable in my own skin. Um, and then to realize that other folks certainly were not comfortable with my skin <laughs> was uh, a lot um I'm just going to say that I actually, um, the friend that I reconnected with that I've known since kindergarten, we've had some conversations about these, some of these things and mm-hmm. how, um, you know, she wasn't even aware that that was the case. She just thought I just couldn't spend the night. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't allowed to spend the night. Um, Were you aware? I, I don't know when I became aware. I don't think I was aware at that I 
don't know how I became aware or you know, kind of how that all transpired. Sure. I think what, mm-hmm. what may have ha- what happened is I just wasn't invited to spend the night. And later I realized that every, all the other girls spent the night and why. Mm-hmm. And so, and this is then, and then over time finding out, you know, from my family and other interactions that her parents were, you know, blatantly racist and, mm-hmm. um, um, but when I was there at the house with the party with everyone, I didn't, I didn't know those things. <laughs> sure. And, of course. Um, and food certainly don't, um, you know, at least while I was there, didn't say or do anything that I recall being, you know, overtly um, racist. But I, I just remember um, at some point, you know, learning that, oh, everyone else got to spend the night. Why didn't, and it may, and, that actually may have been a conversation that was had much later. Um, but at the time I couldn't, I didn't even know how to confrontation was not something I knew how to do. <laughs> sure. Sure. Do. Um, and, um, and that's when I started to be, become aware that folks just, over time then started to see me, my friends saw me as not like the other black people. And so I imagine these conversations mm-hmm. in their homes, kind of like, um, you know, my f- friends sort of standing up for me and saying, but she's not like other black people. And that almost deserves right. more. Like I would play out these really strange scenarios in my head about, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, like what, what are they saying? How are they coming to these conclusions? And, um, uh, and in all of those scenarios, you know, my, no one was seeing me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the, I think really from that point, I, I started to crave friendships with folks who, which I did experience at church. So church was a different, but this was like a, it was like a, I felt like I had kind of different lives. Like, and I didn't, you know, didn't get to see the folks that when we would have our youth leadership conference for church in the summer uh-huh. with all the other black churches in the area. And these are all other, you know, pretty much rural black families that I felt a sense of, you know, connection with and commonality with. Um, that wasn't a daily experience. That was like a special treat <laughs> to get to be with other um, young black folks in spaces like that. Uh, which mm-hmm. was also then further complicated by the fact that I didn't, um, the role religion played and church played in my life. Um, Cause I questioned a lot of things when I was in church and, you know, read the Bible when I was 11 and didn't, you know, and so I came to some conclusions that were not consistent with the, you know, Baptist doctrine that I was being taught or that my sure supported. And so but I, I needed the church because that's where mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I got to, you know, and I became a leader in that, like in the youth um, kind of organizations in the church and was very, very highly involved. Every, you know, any choir, any activity, any youth conference, any, any Bible study. Um, but what I don't know if folks realize it wasn't the, it wasn't the religion that kept me. It was that mm-hmm. social connection. Mm-hmm. That people sure, were. sure. Well, and and I I think that's a really wonderful um, tip or a strategy around um, surviving is that, and I say this all the time, is that you need to find your folk. Yes, yes. And um, and so for parents specifically who are raising children in these hyper white spaces, um, for whatever reason, um, that it's important to make sure that your children, one, has mirrors, mm-hmm. but also that they have a safe space where they can also express their full Black selves. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. my, and my family is fabulous. My family is, um, but, you know, they went through, they went through some stuff. And so mm-hmm. their, you know, thoughts and attitudes towards white folks were, um, were based on some of the trauma they experienced at their hands. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> that, you know, sure. My, mom, my mom was a freshman in high school when they integrated. Um, mm. She is not, like, she's, this was 19, um, when did they integrate? 
They didn't integrate there until 1964. And at the same time, mm-hmm. they consolidated all of the schools. The oh. four or five elementary through high schools that they then consolidated the high school. At the same time they integrated, they brought all wow. high school students from the entire county into the same building. Wow. That was quite traumatic. <laughs> I bet. Uh-huh. Um, because the teachers at Carter Dowling, the, um, the black school, most of them didn't get to stay on as teachers when they consolidated and integrated. And so, um, and my granddad being a farmer in this area, you know, the, the, uh, hardships he faced, by the way, he will be a hundred on August 14th. Um, Happy birthday, granddaddy! <laughs> pop, pop. Doing, what do we call him? What do we yeah, call him? I call him granddaddy. I call him granddaddy. Granddad. Mm-hmm. We will be, or sorry, we're, the party's on the fourteenth. Uh, we'll be going mm-hmm. to to celebrate. So I just have to give him a, a quick shout out because yes, I'm all for that for the centurion. Um, mm-hmm. So, so my so yes, in terms of that coping, um, that's something that I think my family had because they needed that too. They, you know, my mm-hmm. families where they were, pro- you know, often one of few, you know, black folks in there, wherever they were working, they carpooled with the other black folks from church. My mom always carpooled typically with my aunt and some other folks that we knew, black folks that we knew. But when they were, you know, they were in these spaces and they also, I think, depended on the, um, you know, those church experiences as a, a way to connect with their, you know, black peers. And so mm-hmm. I do think that that is an important kind of mechanism for, for addressing that. Um, and then for me, another thing that I do to cope or to, to like reaffirm for other people that my interest in something they associate as white is not as white as they think it is, is mm. for example, I listen to a lot of, um, um, kind of hippie jam band music, you know, we'll mm-hmm. say folks who cover lots of Grateful Dead and um, mm-hmm. you know, the, or um, like Derek Trucks band, Tedeschi Trucks band. I don't know if folks looked at those bands and maybe just listened to them, but um, there are sig- significant players in those arenas who are black and are talented mm-hmm. and who I, you know, read, I read, um, I follow O'Teal Burbridge um, quite significantly, and he um, plays with um, the dead now that's touring. Um, and he mm-hmm. often talks about his experience growing up uh, and how his interest in the music and how, you know, he finds a way to um, bring, you know, what he, the parts of him that he associates with being Black into that space and into that music. Mm-hmm. That, um, you know, many shows like it when I are... Um, um, the Jerry Garcia band who played, um, I just forgot his name now, who plays with him. But, you know, I would often go to shows and like, for example, the backup, sing- the backup singers would be black, for example. Sure, <laughs> right? sure. Or, and to right. some people that's, that may seem kind of like stigmatizing or, you know, kind of pigeon. But for me, it was, I wanted to remind folks that there, there are black folks in the spaces you're actually listening to and supporting and cheering for. And maybe they're not the lead, but you mm-hmm. understand the influence that, or even just mm-hmm. the influence that um, black culture and music has had on. Sure. Um, Don't forget that part. Yes. And, and I mean, the great. All the, music. All music. And the dead was known for covering songs like brothers and sisters, you know, covering um, spirituals or covering blues songs or covering. In fact, I've heard someone say that they're, they're actually just the best, one of the best cover bands ever because, they, much of their music was not actually original. It was covering what was music that was often something that I associate mm-hmm. with, um, with black culture and bringing it sure. in a different way. And so, um, but those are things that a lot of white folks in the spaces I'm in just aren't even aware of. And mm-hmm. I find that is a way for me to, um, and sometimes I get tired of being the educator. I do. But sometimes that's exhausting, but it also sure. for me to cope at times is to share that knowledge and uh, my experience with folks in those spaces. So tell us about your friend group now, your friend friend groups now, or however mm-hmm. that plays out for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say most my friend groups now are primarily revolve around music. Um, mm-hmm. 
I I do a lot of music festivals in the summers. After I moved to PA, um, I started going to Pennsylvania music festivals, which are mm-hmm. um, and kind of it's like Woodstock light, we'll say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And uh, my first festival experience was in graduate school, and it's this one of the spaces that I felt initially most comfortable, most able to be myself. Mm-hmm. And um, that just the nature and the attitudes of the folks. My blackness was sometimes not noticed, which is not which is not necessarily a positive thing, but often sure. was and was so kind of invisible, kind of invisible. Yes, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. but what I found more in that those festival spaces than in other spaces was actually an acknowledgement and a wish that that was more diverse, like that there was a desire actually, and so um, you know I would go to a festival that might be. Um, primarily focused on, you know, a jam band kind of um, band, but they, over the course of the weekend, would have other artists that reflected different genres of music that often included more Black folks. But the crowd was Mm -hmm. white. And I may be one Mm -hmm. of two people at like a huge, like a large festival. I may see two Mm -hmm. folks out of, you know, 400 people or something. Mm -hmm. Um, um, but there was, and when you, wait a minute. So when you see those people, is there the nod? Oh yes. Like what's oh, up? Not, <laughs> not, there's a running in slow motion hug and swirl, you know, swing each other around in the air. <laughs> I love it. But in those space, that is acceptable. It is we a, will find each other now, won't we? And folks don't look at us like, like, in fact, folks will, will, and, and actually, I think a kind of loving and caring way will try to connect us. <laughs> mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And um, uh, but yeah, to so the nod, the the conversation, like the conversations I've had when I have encountered other Black folks in those spaces, have been amazing and wonderful. And, and you know, um, because we talk about how why is it that we feel so comfortable in that environment, even though there are so few of us, but yet at the mm-hmm. same time. It's an environment where I can run up and hug another black person. Whereas if I'm what I discovered in graduate school is not everyone grew up like I did. And so when they see another black person, sure. it's not necessarily an event. For me, it is an event typically when I see another black person. And so in those spaces, what's nice is knowing that it's probably an event for that other black person too. So we can without hesitation, walk towards each other, start a conversation, give each other a hug, and, and you know, then kind of continue on our way. But that that's a significant, like, event. Um, mm-hmm. So my friend group now, predominantly because it revolves around uh, music, but also because my friends are a lot of musicians who understand the role of black culture, the role of black folks in their, how they got to where they are in the music they play, mm-hmm. um, that they're often, um, I'm surrounded by more, um, I don't know if activist is too strong of a word, but folks mm-hmm. who put their music kind of as a platform, especially in our current client climate sure. in the last few years who use that, you know, there are, um, uh, artists who um, acknowledge and use their that platform, um, and so so I, I feel like the like the white folks I'm around now and who are my friend group. It's very different from that K twelve experience I described, where hmm. mm-hmm. this is these are folks. So for example, I, I also like to sing karaoke, and in this area. Um, most of the, one of the karaoke places is out past the West End, which is of Lewisburg, um, which is notoriously, um, known to be more, you know, conservative, I'll say racist, notoriously known to be kind of, uh, uh, so the first time I went to sing karaoke at one of the establishments in that area, um, one of my friends who's white was with me and I went to the bathroom and it was taking me a while to come out. And so she actually came into the bathroom and said, are you okay? She said, I recognize the space that we're in. I just want to make sure you're okay. 
Wow. Mm -hmm. So those are the types of folks that I am around now, folks who are actually aware that the situation might be, might present a challenge for me because, because Mm -hmm. of this particular establishment, there were Trump, there was a Trump sign. They were clearly the establishment supported Trump. And so her Mm -hmm. awareness of that, when I went and she didn't see me for five minutes, her first thought was, let me make sure that Lakeisha feels safe in this space. Okay. And mm-hmm. so that has been an important transition for me is um, to not, to be okay with having a lot of white friends. Mm-hmm. Also making sure that those are friends who understand me, my needs, what my experiences sure. are not fully. Sure. Enough to actually intervene. Like enough gotcha. to actually ask, to check in on me in a, in a real way. Um, and so that um, that's something that I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't know I could create. I, I didn't know that I could build true friendships that weren't just, okay, we like the same music, so we're all at this event, so we're here together. But they're not sure. sure. We're not ever going to. No, there are people who are actually willing and trying, you know, to do that. Um um, and that's part of my, I think my coping is because at a young age, I was so afraid to have the conversations. Mm-hmm, now, mm-hmm. now that's part of, that's like necessary for me. If I can't. Sure. Off, sounds like it happens often. Mm-hmm. If I can't have those conversations with you as a white friend, then we're not really friends. So it's interesting because I just was about to read you the Shannon Sharp quote. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Shannon Sharp, the sportscaster and former NFL Hall of Famer, blah, blah, blah. So he says, if you say I got black friends and you can't empathize with the plight blacks are going through right now, you don't have black friends. You know some black people. Yes. Yes. And I'm wondering if you could respond to that. That is exactly. Uh, absolutely. I feel that. Um, and, and now rap, I'm going to find that out sooner than later. I'm not going to wait and see how things play out. We're mm. just going to answer you some questions right up front. What do you ask? That's good. <laughs> tell, tell us about the inventory. When I was, and this, especially when dating, because I mm. being in predominantly white spaces have dated, uh, a, a number of white men and women and, mm-hmm. um, um in the last several years, I, I actually one time met someone and said, um, what are your sociopolitical leanings? Um, I didn't say like, do you support, like, I just, and first mm-hmm. of all, in part to, to, to assess whether or not they understood the question. <laughs> do you understand? Right. Right. Question? right. Like, are you, are you smart enough? Right. <laughs> um, and then um, you know, to kind of assess their response to that question. Um, and typically, you know, um, um, I would have done something, you know, even if I just was initially meeting someone, say it was online, I would have done some pre, you know, had some uh, other questions before the actual meeting that would have at least got me to the point that I was willing to meet the person. So it typically was a relatively, relatively safe question to ask, but sometimes I, you know, still, you never, never quite know. And especially with dating because of the issues of um, being objectified and fetishized, you know, sure. a fetish sure. really especially important, I think, um, mm-hmm. to, to ask questions like that. And so, um, um, so in our, the way things have evolved politically, to me, that's a great door and a, a way to find out what, you know, what thoughts about race might be. Uh, and so in some ways, the, the fact that things have gotten uh, more divisive and, um, and continue, we continue to see issues that, you know, in terms of police violence, you know, issues that have been present forever. And now the fact that it seems that at least more white folks are aware um, of some of these issues that we've been screaming about. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. It opens the door for those sorts of, sorts of questions, um, and so um, you know, so I might ask someone what they think about the Black Lives Matter movement. I might, sure, mm-hmm. you know, um, 
and so on, what, you know, their thoughts are about um, the correct Confederate flag. Cause I, you know, I'm from rural Kentucky. I see yes. more Confederate flags in this area than I did in Kentucky growing up. Like, mm-hmm. So just for our listeners, uh, when she talks about this area, she's talking about uh, rural central Pennsylvania. Yes. Go rural ahead. Pennsylvania. <laughs> um, and so those are questions that I'm quite comfortable asking very early on. Um, mm-hmm. Because when it comes to friendships and relationships, I just I feel like I don't have time to waste. <laughs> sure, sure. I don't necessarily need to add more people to my friend group. Um, mm. so if I'm mm. willing to add someone to my friend group, you you're bringing something to the table that is right. Where, you know, there's some mutual you know benefit of us you know kind of interacting and knowing each other. Um, and so there's certain questions that. If you don't support or agree or can't get behind, you just don't need to be friends. <laughs> wow. That's beautiful. That right there, that that's some good stuff right there. Because what you're saying is, this is what I need in my relationships. Mm-hmm. This is who I am. And if you can't support um, who I am, then we're good. No, yes. thank you. Yes. And so has that has it happened that you've had to... Um, say give a no thank you or give somebody a, 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 a never mind that's yeah. we're good um, I was actually uh, one time I had an event at a festival where someone I knew the mics there they were in between sets someone was near a mic that was on and we all heard them say everybody go lock your cars if you're parked over there there's some ends I will not say the word um, and what happened was someone, this is a friend of yours. Someone I was, I, I don't use the word friend, but yes, someone that I knew. Uh-huh. Okay. And they were leaving the stage. The mic was still on said, you know, this, cause there was a group of, there was a group of black folks at this large festival. Um, and the reaction was. Someone who was an organizer of the event went to the mic and on the mic reprimanded that person for what they said. And Mm -hmm. I believe they were actually made to leave the event. I'm not positive about that, but I did not see that more at the event. And Mm -hmm. um, so that's what I mean about that community. Sure. And the responding in situations. So that person... Um, like we were, you know, friends on Facebook, we were, you know, I unfriended, I did, you know, did all that, just no time for it. Um, and so in a case like that, where I'm not really, we weren't close friends or in a relationship, I didn't see any need to put energy into educating, trying to establish, um, Uh you know, figure out what was going on there and regain, you know, try to be friends. It was just like, nope, that's fine. That's, that's good to know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't need to continue any further. Um, you know, thank you for your time. Um, That's so, beautiful too. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so for me, deciding what do I want to invest my time and energy mm-hmm. 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 when it comes to friendships and acquaintances and relationships. Mm-hmm. How much are you the same way with your black and brown friends? Yes. So in many ways, um, some of the, for example, when I went to graduate school, one of the first times, maybe it was the first time I was told by uh, black folks that I wasn't black was in graduate school. Mm-hmm. I went to sure. a black graduate student association meeting. And we were all talking about where we're from and our interests. And someone actually said, you're not really black. Um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and so that wasn't until then that I really kind of hit home that Okay, I, I'm gonna. I might have to fight in every space I'm in <laughs> for my black. Mm. I might have to. Wow. Defend mm. it. I might have to proclaim it. I might have to in every space I'm in. This is a potential, you know, something that that I will have to address. Um, mm-hmm. And so, um, I have now though been able to find ways to, and I made many attempts to try to be in spaces that are predominantly black and especially black and female. Um, Mm -hmm. But for whatever reason that 
that that's always been harder for me to maintain. And part of it, I think, is mm-hmm. it's, it's who's close to me, who's, you know, what events are mm-hmm. we going to? And so, um, but sometimes it's, you know, it's hard to be in a space and think of something funny because it's a reference. Someone says something that makes me think of a line or a scene from the movie School Days and the people I'm around have no idea what the movie School Days is because <laughs> I'm in my white friend group. Sometimes I crave, like, I have these, you know, thoughts of like, uh, I would say this, but nobody's going to get it. They're not even going to get it. They have no, like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. so I need, um, I find myself more often connecting with other, especially black females, um, and like small groups or like a one-on-one, like a Mm -hmm. one-on-one as opposed to, um, the period of time that I, um, uh, was active in a historically black sorority, but that chapter was actually predominantly black. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it was not. Uh, it was not predominantly black. Um, and so that experience ended up not quite being exactly mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. what, I, what I thought it was going to be. Um, um, and so I find that I'm still doing kind of what I did growing up, which is I have. Sure. Something that mm-hmm. replaced church and replaced those mm-hmm. kind of periodic experiences. I still have those. I create them on my own. Um, so, you know, so when I'm invited to participate in a, like, a, at, at Lycoming, they had a Black Women Empowerment kind of workshop that the students had organized and, um, you know, or so, um, and then maintaining connections around that with other um, Black women. But, you know, those aren't the folks I'm like hanging out with on the weekends and going to shows and going to festivals with. Sure. The folks mm-hmm. I'm like, all, you know, and say like, oh, let, you know, let's get together. Why don't you come over? I'll come over to your house and let's hang out. And so it's more periodic, but, um, mm-hmm. but like it's enough, at least for now. But that's something that's you. changed and evolved and mm-hmm. also is influenced by the socio-political climate. So I was I was wanting to I was wondering if you could comment. And so black is certainly the new black right now. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of attention on anti-black racism, a lot of attention on anti-racism, just lots of conversation and T-shirts and Target and, you know, blah, 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 on and on. Right. And so I guess I'm wondering how has this season um, this season of racial reckoning that the country is currently wrestling with, how has that impacted um, your relationships in your predominantly white friend groups? Yes. Um, I, it's made it easier to, kind of like how it's made it easier to answer some of those questions, it's made it, made it, made it easier to have the conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, also, that makes it easier to determine who's really there or who just likes the term woke and thinks it's cool or who mm-hmm. just like, oh, I'm going to put a, you know, having a Black Lives Matter sticker on my car is the thing to do. Or mm-hmm. what's mm-hmm. interesting is those overt shows don't necessarily mean as much as they used to to me. Not so much. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. that, that's not because that's because it's, it's, it's popular. Yes, exactly. It's, it's cool. Um, right. Uh-huh. Uh, performative. Yes. Thank you. That's the word I was trying to think of. It's performative. And so... Um, so that is actually an interesting development to me. Um, mm, is mm-hmm. that okay? So now because we, you know, everybody's got this on video on their cell phone that this, you know, young black man trying to make a delivery in this gated neighborhood is getting the police called on him. We've known forever. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I'm so glad right. you're in the game, but man, you are late. And so, um, so these kind of more performative acts. Um, have, in some ways, I think it's made the quality of the friendships I do have more valuable because it's easier mm. easier to discern who's really who's. So my friend who came to me when I was in the bathroom and I was taking a while, mm-hmm. and I was okay. Like that was a true, genuine. You like, bet. That was that's my, for real. That was for mm-hmm. real. Um. I don't think she has a Black Lives Matter sticker on her car. I don't think she's, you know, waving the flags around. I don't think that's, I might have 
acquaintances who are doing those things, but I don't know that they would have been aware enough to come check on me and just check mm. sure I was okay. And so that sort mm -hmm. of distinction, I think the current times have created what looks like support and um, allyship, but, mm -hmm. but it's not necessarily so. Sure. It's good. Is there anything that you thought I would ask you that I have not? Hmm. That you want to share about being black in white friend groups? Um, I can't think of anything right offhand. Like I really anticipated mm -hmm. kind of, um, you know, talking about sort of having to defend my black or you know, mm -hmm. I'm gonna say no. Like I, I am black. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. There's many ways that that comes up, and I, and that ha needs to happen. Um, mm -hmm. um, yeah. So you know what I'm aware of, Lakeisha, is um, for myself, and so I have uh, one or two friend groups where I am the only black person. And what I'm aware of in this racial reckoning that. I have less patience mm -hmm. for foolishness. And oftentimes it has made me want to disengage. Um, but then I value the relationships, right? Um, and what they've meant to me but it does make it more, it does make, it, it brings, it feels like it brings more salience to my racial identity than it did before. Yes. I was mm -hmm. someone that just in general, like the salience of my blackness and the level of, um, I call it just race-based anxiety, like this low grade persistent yeah. level of race-based anxiety. Mm, kind of, just a humming. Mm, a level, just a humming. Yes, at a level unlike anything I've ever experienced. And after talking about sure. up in that environment, like what, what I'm experiencing and have been the last several years in terms of that salience and that like that hum, <laughs> that constant hum is um, mm -hmm. is something I didn't anticipate still or experience mm -hmm. at this level in my forties and the, you know, 2020s, like I just, um, I thought things would feel different by now. And it's interesting to me that, um, that some of those that's heightened for me now, um, in a way that it wasn't when things were more, um, I, when things were more, you know, segregated or more folks were, um, well, yeah, in rural Kentucky where things were just kind of backwards in some ways when it comes sure. to Sure. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, that's kind of low grade. That salience for me leads to that kind of low grade, kind of almost constant race-based anxiety. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Similar to that uncomfortableness I experienced as a young person where I was always anticipating is something, somebody going to say something, is something going to happen. Um, I would say that's more persistent almost now um, mm -hmm. and broader outside of my friend. Mm -hmm. When I, you know, go into a store, go to, um, yeah, it's, it's been an interesting development. So what's different? So what would that, this woman, Dr. Lakeisha Myers, tell that little girl mm. that didn't get to go to the slumber party. I think um, tell her that um, that it's it's okay to be who she is. Mm. It's okay to be, and mm -hmm. it's okay to to let other people know who you are when they've said or done something that that hurts you or makes you feel less than um, that to not be concerned about their reaction, their reaction will just let you know whether or not you need to continue to, to, to be mm. in friendship or relationship with them. 
to not be afraid mm -hmm. of the reaction. The reaction is actually, that's the information you need. It's valuable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Nice. So what's the one thing, and I ask every guest this, and people sometimes like this question and sometimes they do not. Um, what's the one thing that you would tell white people about how to create spaces that are more inclusive, diverse, that help minimize that racial stress hum? Um, what, 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 what would that be? Um, I think in, one thing would be to understand the diversity that exists within blackness mm -hmm. and um, that, and also to, um, that we're not asking you to, to, to bear to the side of uh, hating yourself because you're white and always talking about how guilty you feel about the things that white people have done to my people. Cause that's something that sometimes right. happens. Folks over, folks are like, Oh, you know, and it's like that's that's not necessarily helpful either. It's not yeah. well, particularly because it puts the focus on you and not on the people who are oppressed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I would say once again, listen to black people. One of my students gave me a mug that says, "A black woman is speaking. Listen and learn." Wow. And I think sometimes that's what I, I want to say to white folks: <laughs> listen and learn. If this is about wow. blackness, listen and learn. Don't then turn it into your guilt and your, you know, that's not what this is about. Listen and learn. Well, that is perfect. I love it. Thank you so much for taking the time to meet with me, to tell your story. I'm sure that it's going to be of value to our listeners. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. This episode was edited by Caroline Bone. Special thanks to our podcast intern, Amanda Gillette. Our music is provided by Jaffa. Being the Dot is sponsored by davisdeliciousdelights.com. davisdeliciousdelights.com. Custom-made personalized pastries, cakes, pies, and cookies made with a dash of Southern flair. Visit davisdeliciousdelights.com and use the coupon code BEINGTHEDOT for 20% off orders of $35.99 or more.